Pericles, Prince of Tyre. Welcome, everybody, to the uh, commentary for Pericles Part 2, Prince of Tyre. Um, Pericles, Prince of Tyre. I'm kind of getting warmed up here. But uh, I am joined by our, uh, our wonderful dramaturge, Morgan Soule. Hello, all the people out there in podcast land. And, of course, our excellent audio engineer, Jeff Robinson. Hello, Adam. Good to be here. Good to see you, or good to hear you, I should say. Mm-hmm. All right. So we and we should say that you are... We should say that you are Adam Blanford, uh, other co-director of this production. Yeah. <laughs> I need no introduction. You know that. Oh, of course. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I am. I'm Adam Blanford. I am the. Uh, I, I'm also uh, co-directing this particular uh, episode, and uh, we are working on our working our way through this uh, wonderful. Uh, Lesser-known play of Shakespeare's. So I did a lot of the uh, audio uh, processing and cutting for this episode. That's why I'm talking and rambling uh, incoherently. And uh, Jeff and Morgan are, are, are along for the ride. What did you guys think of this episode? I really... I really was uh, was impressed uh, most. Uh, I would say, Adam, by the uh, great scoring you did, uh, both you know, scoring in terms of music, but also ambiance, like uh, that that opening that we just heard from from Gower. Um, you know, just the the music, the dramatic music that you brought in from the very beginning, the sound effects you kind of layered on throughout his introduction as he talks about the various plot elements that sort of occur between episodes um, was was really neat. So kudos for for all the, the you know a- effort you put into that. Well, thank you very much. This is kind of fun. Uh, so yeah, in in this episode. Pericles uh, is caught up in a terrible storm. His ship is destroyed, and he is tossed around like a rag doll, and he ends up on the shore of a land that he is just about to discover as Pentapolis. And he is he discovers, I should say, uh, three very interesting fishermen, and he is trying to figure out what's going on and what's happening and what he can do next because he has found no other member of his party. Mm-hmm. So um, this was kind of a fun scene to set up because we had these, you know, these three fishermen and they all had these different kind of mentalities. You have the the kind of cagey leader of the group and then you had the smart alecky, uh, you know, second in command, and then you had the 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 third fisherman who was kind of kind of goofy or i should say i kind of made him goofy because uh, the, the actor who played this the, the third fisherman was uh he was actually doing different interpretations of the character and i really liked that kind of well i don't know master because it was very different from the other two. Yeah. but I, I i i hope he doesn't think i tried to make him into a complete you know goofball <laughs> Morgan, I like the note you put in the script, you know, that that these these three fishermen are basically the three stooges not far off. <laughs> you know, I couldn't shake that feeling. One of them was the kind of mean boss. He was the Mo. You had a Curly and a Larry. Just as you said, it was kind of the one in the middle and then the really dumb one. So <clears throat> visualizing it on, yeah. trying to visualize it. Yeah. Come on, probably bopping each other on the head. <laughs> that, that was a that was a really great note because that kind of helped drive the the music trying to find what what kind of music to support those two or those those three in their their scene 
and uh, just kind of the, the pace of their interactions because they just kind of go back and forth and they don't let each other get a li- get any away with anything. So this was really fun to cut because it was just trying to find that, that right combination. Nay. Did run into some technical issues in this particular episode. Um, I ended up having to request some some line redos, which it really happens uh, when when you're trying to put something as complex as this together. But we had to the lines to come in, and we had you know just um, just different issues with you know when we're looking at sound quality and trying to get everything so that it's all balanced out. That's one of the real challenges of doing this kind of uh, of directing. It's just making sure everything is so so consistent throughout. Exactly. Yeah. When you have the the actors recording independently of each other, that uh, you know making it feel like everybody is in the same room, like you're watching a play or watching a movie, um, is is uh, is the big challenge there. Uh, Morgan, uh, cut you oh, off so, there. Sometimes there's a real alchemy to it where these actors who have recorded their lines separately uh, create something once those lines are put next to each other where it's like, not only does it sound like they're in the same room, it sounds like they're improvising. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds yeah. somehow more natural than it could have ever sounded uh, when it works. When it works well, there's just this magic when the right take versus the right take next to each other and boom, there it is. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. In- Absolutely. One thing, well, one thing I was going to say is that, you know, in other pendant productions like Seminar or Mage and Machine or Kingery, etc., um, you know, actors are encouraged to actually improvise their lines a bit, like play around with the script, you know, record the lines as it's written a couple times, but also um, bring their own flair to it if they feel like a line could be said a different way. But obviously with Shakespeare, that's something you really, you really don't want to do. <laughs> Yeah, there's a, there's a time and a place for improv, and generally Shakespeare's not one of them. Um, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, my, a, a lot of productions that I've done as a voice actor, you do at least three takes straight, so you read exactly what's written on the page, and then for the last one or two takes, you find something to do in there that is unique and put a unique spin on it. And uh, I find that those typically are what kind of net you the, the, the part because it really shows a deeper understanding of that that character and what what you're trying to convey in the scene. So, and even though they can't obviously rearrange Shakespeare's words, it's when they're comfortable enough to give you the the pauses or the unexpected, the cough or the the different reading of it that wouldn't be the most straight reading of it is sometimes the most moving or the, the most funny or the most sounds correct because when they're free to kind of play with how they deliver Shakespeare's uh, lines. Mm-hmm. You can really hear that in yeah. some of these. Oh yeah, so, I mean it's it's fascinating listening to some of uh, some of the audio because they they find so many different ways to interpret the line, and it's it's great. I I, I can say um, Kendra Murray, who plays Thasia, and she's in in this episode later. She actually, I think she gave me at least seven different renditions of each line. <laughs> and, so yeah, and for each one there was there was different emotional tone, there was different emphasis, there was kind of a different pacing to it, and it it you know it, it was very ch- challenging to try and find the right the right clip because there were so many good ones that you know she 
She made it difficult in a good way, I should say. <laughs> I'm particularly impressed, you know, there in Pericles, there are so many lines that are just so long. Um, you know, Gower's introductions, for example, um, in the in the next episode, his introduction is, you know, goes on for like four minutes. And he gave me like he gave me seriously five takes of this four minute long line. And I'm like, man, that is commitment. Well done, sir. <laughs> Uh, those well, Gower monologues. Whoo! <laughs> he, he does an amazing job with those. I, I have mm -hmm. to say, um, mm -hmm. I, I always enjoy listening to to those, and I really enjoy trying to figure out, you know, what's the kind of tone I want to get get in, in this particular uh, scene with him. And uh, I also, you know, I was playing around trying to match that kind of ethereal tone that he has, because um, he's the narrator. But I, I found it really fun to try and, and uh, you know, play with different musical styles under him and just see what I could do. And you do a great job of keeping it up, keeping it sounding alive. Because just, just a man standing on stage for four minutes can get uh, tiring. So listening to it, the, the, the techniques you use to keep it moving musically and uh, with the ambiance really keeps those, keeps those flowing. Mm-hmm. I, you know, when I was mixing that um, in, in the very first part of the of the episode, it was it was a definite challenge because you know you can tell when you've done a good job when you have that really you have that three dimensionality to the scene. Like I, I call it having a bottom to the scene. Like you, you can kind of feel the 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 floor underneath you. Yeah, it's very solid, and that was challenging trying to find the right mix of of effects and, and the right mix of, of, of music to try and give that kind of depiction of what's going on behind Gower um, as Pericles is, you know, getting dumped overboard and tossed around in the, in the storm. In honor be but a goal to my will, this day I'll rise, or else add ill to ill. Yeah, one of the, um, one of the challenges uh, for me, Adam, and I don't know if you feel the same way, is, you know, when you're layering on music and ambience and sound effects is, you know, how much is too much and how little is too little? It's it's always a it's always a question in the back of my mind. Like I'll listen to a scene and maybe there's only a little ambience in the background and nothing else. And I'm like, is this too little? Like, is the audience going to be bored? Do I need to crank up the prank up the ambience or throw on some music to make it more exciting but uh, sometimes you don't sometimes you know it's more impactful to to you know do minimal sound effects in a certain uh, section of the script it uh, just de totally depends on the particular scene and everything i have to agree that that uh, there there is definitely a challenge to figure out the right balance um in general i, I one of the great things about going through the the, the pendant uh, director class was really finding a way to balance that out so that the effects and music provided support for the scene but didn't supersede it or compete with it. And uh, so in general, I, I really try to find effects and I'll layer them in, but then I will just make them, you know, microscopically, you know, large on my, my uh, digital audio workshop. I will, I will just, you know, continue to minimize the sound until there's just texture but it doesn't necessarily convey anything um other than yeah this is background this is to provide kind of the the realism to the scene for you not to uh not to take it over 
The other thing is that, you know, even pulling from a, a, a reputable source like SoundSnap, you're getting, um, you know, ambiance and noises from the modern day era. And we have to always have to be really careful because with crowd noises, you never know what someone's going to say in the middle of a scene. Um, exactly. I'm pretty sure somebody said something that's not repeatable on one of the clips I was using, and I had to find a way to cut the scene right as he was about to say that so that I got the right crowd noise, no profanity. And just, just trying to find a good crowd rumble for the past. I always hear somebody going, yeah, yeah, in any, in any crowd sound, and that just pulls you out of it. <laughs> well, I had, I had if I could just great... quickly about th this scene, uh, sure. yeah. this scene where the knights are going by um, and they're identifying them. There's a scene very similar to this in Troilus and Cressida. We had just done about five pages of, of knights walking by and people commenting on them. And I just want to compliment our actors uh, who take what in audio could be perhaps the dullest possible thing to do in audio, and they create such a little scene between the annoyed father and the bored daughter. They, do, they, they really uh, play into that and give you something to listen to. I, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, uh, Pete Lutz is, is perfect as, uh, as, as the, the King Simonides. Simonides. I, I always mess up the pronunciations, and I have a key. Um, Simonides, I... Simonides. Yeah, Pete and, and Kendra Murray just really save this. This was just hellacious to think, God, how is this going to go? Please let the actors nail it. And they really did. They, they absolutely did. And it was it was a, a fun kind of thing to try and, and play with, you know, because I, I think I requested like four or five different clips of horses moving by and horse horse clopping and then i would modify the pitch and the tone and then i would dump in a few extra steps and, is that because uh, they, they don't sound like the same horse <laughs> i didn't know you did that <laughs> yeah i i so yeah i i really tried to make them different so that you was like okay this is a different guy this is a different guy because you're you're sitting there and you're all you're doing is hearing you know basically the race announcer saying hey you know going by a number 23 um, you are my princess, all you've got is that information of, of what you can hear. But, you, my knight and guest, but I, I will say that I did steal a, or not steal, but I downloaded a, a clip that, from another site in order to do this fanfare that you asked for, because the tune peddler does not do a lot of brass instruments, I will say. <laughs> it's great music, but no brass. Come, queen of the feast, for daughter so you are, here take your place. Marshal the rest as they deserve their great Yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, Pete Lutz uh, brought lots of uh, gravitas to this part. Also, uh, Carson Campbell as as a Lord One, one of the one of the guys you heard earlier, kind of being a jerk to Pericles. A great example of how you know a, a relatively small part in this episode, but can still have a great impact uh you know his voice was one of the most memorable to me in uh in this episode mm -hmm. um just even in that small role um very impressive because he only very has a resonant. few seconds to to give you a fully realized existence as a character yep. that, and that, that voice nails it yes pete and carson mm -hmm. really did a great job which tells me in that glory once he was another thing you know when it comes like oh, go ahead go ahead uh, i was just going to say you know another thing uh, when it comes to to mixing an episode is uh, i i will find myself playing endlessly you know way too much with um you know the volume of all the various elements against each other um you know is is 
is the ambience drowning out the voice? Is does the voice need to be louder? It's uh, it's tricky, especially because you know listening to an episode on headphones versus listening to it over speakers can give you a completely different sense of of where things are in relation to each other. And you want the end experience to be perfect for everybody, regardless of how they listen, whether they're listening on $100 headphones or, you know, iPhone earbuds or, uh, you know, a speaker in their living room. Are they in a car where the right speaker doesn't work at all? You know? Exactly. <laughs> Who knows where somebody's going to be? As if the entertainment in our That's true. Had not a show might Actually, I was listening to some audio drama at one point in my car with a broken right door speaker. And uh, there's a whole scene where I couldn't hear the every other line. <laughs> yep, you got to be I, careful with the panning. I, I usually do. Um, I usually do mono tracks just so that I can kind of balance that yeah. out. Unless there's a specific effect that really needs that left-right channel. Yep. To, to give that the dimensionality. There weren't a lot of asides in this episode, so I didn't get to do a lot of panning. Right, exactly. Yeah, given that sense that somebody's kind of standing off to the side and what they're saying can't be heard by the other actors in the scene. Has drunk to you. I thank him. Wishing it so much blood unto your life. But yeah, Adam, I think you were going to give a, a plug to, to Russell Gold, uh, of course, our great Pericles, who, you know, just episode after episode continues to churn out. Um, just wonderful performances and clearly somebody who studies the text and, and you know, makes sure makes sure he understands what he's saying before he ever hits record. Oh, he, he does a fantastic job. I mean, definitely uh, carries the, the carries the, the, the scenes that he's in. He or he is very strong as an actor. And uh, mm -hmm. so it's, it's always a delight to work with his audio and. Uh, and uh, have it play off these other characters. You know, just listen to his different uh, reactions to things. You know, the different gasps or different, you know, feelings of ire, so to speak. Uh, like in the scene where, where Simonides uh, confronts him and, and pretends to, you know, be really angry with him. You know, his his reactions were really great. And he made it really hard to find the right clip because they were all really good. Exactly. In some ways, perhaps Pericles would be harder than Hamlet. Uh, because you know, Hamlet, while he can say some funny things, is never silly. But Pericles has to be in some very silly situations at the same time. Some of the worst, most tragic things happen to him. And it's, it's serious as a heart attack at some points. And he has to uh, bounce between those. Mm -hmm. He does that with, with equal facility. Just between humor, pathos, tragedy. Meanwhile, across the sea entire. Another thing I appreciate about Russell and other actors in this cast is, you know, when the when they're doing a two minute long line and they they, they screw up in the middle, I'll, they'll often throw in a, a few humorous remarks <laughs> expressing frustration about uh, goofing up a line in the middle of a two minute long monologue, which is just oh, yeah. fun to listen to the bloopers and outtakes as uh, as we cut the scenes. That's true. That's true. Uh, Kirsty Wolven is uh, is definitely a, a, a legend in that that arena. She will she'll give all sorts of outtakes in her audio, and uh, it's funny. I mean, I I've cut lines for other productions where she's in it, and you no, know, like two or three minutes of, oh my god, I can't do this right, and then she'll tell you what accent she was going for and which accent she missed. Or, you know, she'll give you the backstory for the blooper too. It's really educational and entertaining. <laughs> Real time commentary. <laughs> 
it shall no longer I've occasionally put a cue in just to just to split up their line and give them a uh, if if you can break the dramatic flow of it and break the cue and just give them not a five minute uh, one file to make I think that might be an act of compassion yeah exactly well and and you know when we're when we're cutting these scenes that that's one thing that that I do it is and I don't know Jeff if you do this but um, you know, I will go in and I will break that audio up so that there is kind of a, a rhythm to it or there's there's an ebb and flow to the conversation so that it's not them reciting the line. It's more, hey, they're saying this and then there's kind of a pause or maybe I want to put an effect in there and I don't want, want it to compete with their voice. So we'll give it that kind of natural pause and construct the scene and kind of draw it out a little bit more so that uh, it, it's got a, a little bit more flow to it. Exactly. Yeah. Getting getting the pacing right, um, you know, between actors, but within even an actor's own monologue um, definitely is crucial and can can make a large impact. I did a couple of those kinds of tweaks in, in this scene right here where everybody's trying to get uh, get Kirsty's character to uh, just accept the crown and become ruler of, of Tyre. And she's saying, no, not going to do it. Wouldn't be prudent at this juncture. <laughs> this was fun. This is kind of, this is actually kind of a drum core track that I pulled it from, but I thought it was really good for, for Pentapolis for those transitions. Mm-hmm. Yep, that cue that tells you we're headed back to Pentapolis now. Knights, from my daughter, mm -hmm. this I let you know, that for this twelve months she'll not undertake a married life. Her reason to herself is only known, which yet from her by no means I can guess. May we not gain access to her, my lord? Faith, by no means. She has so strictly tied her to her chamber that tis impossible. One twelve moons more she'll wear Diana's livery. This by the eye of so Morgan, uh, you know, uh, so far the, the episodes that you've, um, you know, written and uh, edited from from Shakespeare's original text, has there been any any parts that you've found uh, particularly challenging in in uh, you know drafting up the uh, the script and translating it into into uh, you know each individual episode? Well, I don't want to lay anything too heavy on us right now, but the song in chapter five. Um, I'm really sorry to whoever has to edit that one. <laughs> Shakespeare pol uh, politely said there should be a song here, but didn't write anything. So, uh, <laughs> no, it's really, it's, it's the scenes that would be visually stunning that don't have a lot going on for a vocally, like the knights entering to give, give the actors enough to bite into when they have nothing to see, nothing to do, and just kind of talking about things we should be seeing. Those are the ones that are a bit challenging to adapt for audio. And I, I don't rewrite Shakespeare, but you try to clarify for the actors who you don't get to work with um, right. on stage what needs to be happening right here, uh, how the how this moment should flow, even though the moment is a visual moment that we need to create uh, audioly, audioly, hourly in the audioscape. Yep. Yeah, you're really you're you're directing the actors when you put notes in the script. I mean, you know, it it basically is a substitute for you know rehearsing and for you know actually giving them cues and notes in a in an actual rehearsal as you normally would for a regular production. 
And all the script writing books out there for you know plays or movies always say don't put directions in the in the lines. That'll only make the director and the actors annoyed. But it's really a requirement here. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I've always felt that that it's essential to put action in there because then they can kind of hold the scene in their head. And mm -hmm. and use that to kind of kind of power their performance. And I found the notes really really helpful because it kind of helped me figure out okay what's the what is the ambiance that we're trying to put together for this scene. And you can always be friends with bold uh, italics and underlines. Those can be your best friends doing this. This is a great scene here, uh, you know, building up to uh, building up to um, Simon Idea's uh, gag at the very end. Very nice job on the, the pacing and the shift in the music and such. Thank you. Bestow your love and your affections upon a stranger. Therefore, hear you, mistress. Either frame your will to mine, and you, sir, hear you, either be ruled by me, or I will make you man and wife. <laughs> and that there laugh it is. is fantastic. Hey, <laughs> yeah. come. Your hands and lips must seal it too. Did a great job there. And being joined, I'll thus your hopes destroy. And for a further grief, God give you joy. What? This one sequence, these one, you know, one half a scene here with this gag of Simonides is, uh, feels like it's its own Shakespeare comedy that just got condensed into one one spot. Like it's its own three-act uh, uh, romance comedy, like the Comedy of Errors or something. Right. And then with what haste you can get you to bed. Dirty old man. Right. <laughs> he really is. Simon Eddie's, not Pete. I don't know Pete. Yeah, yeah. No, Pete's a wonderful man. Uses left and right turn indicator. Outstanding. Outstanding human. <laughs> now, luckily, with this, this last musical piece, we kind of get into the techno beat right as we're going into the credits, where it doesn't really matter that... Uh, you know, we're kind of breaking into, you know, we're, we're, we're leaving Pentapolis in that kind of time period and, and getting into the credits. Oh, Almost like it was composed for it. Perfect. Russell Gold is Prince Pericles. Theo Holt Bailey is Gower, the narrator. Pete Lutz is Simonides. Wow, this guy's great. <laughs> oh, this guy's got a voice like melted chocolate. It's great. Matthias Blake, Briar and Bray Anderson as the fisherman. Carson Campbell is the Lord of Pentapolis. I did this one pretty quick. I think I did the, did these takes in about in about 15 minutes. It uh, it is an underappreciated role, I think, uh, doing doing the credits. I've I've heard you do other credits where you have to basically give the entire URL of the the license for the music and such, and uh, yeah, it, it gets very wordy. So you do an excellent job. <laughs> Thank you. I I. I actually kind of enjoy those kinds of challenges. I always make fun of, of Dave Morgan when when they send me uh, a uh, the the credits for the Kingery because I'm just like, what? There's only 23 names here. Are you giving me the week off? What's going on? <laughs> All right. Well, so, that brings us to the end of uh, of episode two. Another outstanding yes. work, gentlemen, and all of our cast. Yes, yes. Everyone is doing top notch work. This is a lot of fun. Um, I'm sure the listeners at home are going to have a, a great time getting through this this play, and we will be meeting soon for commentary on episode three. So, See you then. All right. Godspeed. Bye. <laughs>